0: offices of the Tribeca Film Institute in Lower Manhattan. This is TFI Live. I'm Jason Garasio, and we have hit episode number 19, I believe. So if you've been with us this long, thank you. If you're a new listener, we think you'll enjoy this one. It's it's coming up on Halloween. So we thought, what the hell? Let's just uh, bring in some guys and talk some fun things. We have uh, a very esteemed group. I will start... This man does not need an introduction, but I'll give him one anyway because he deserves it. He is one of the indie horror gods, if uh, he'll let me be so bold in saying. And if you know films, if we can go all the way back to Wendigo, because I can, um, The Last Winter, he just recently did um, one of the ABC of Death films, ABC of Death 2. Larry Fessenden is here. Larry, thank you for being here, sir. Hey, thanks. This is good fun. And, um,. A returning champion, he's crazy enough to come back. He is um, in the Glass Eye Picks family that uh, Larry has created. He's director of I Sell the Dead. He did one of the segments for VHS. He also does the Tales from Beyond the Pale with Larry, which we will be talking about. That is Glenn McQuaid. Hello, Glenn. Hi, guys. Good to be back. And um, we've dusted him off. We've cleaned him up. The man behind the glass, Mr. Gavin Mevius, is joining us also to talk all things horror and ghoul and scariness. Gavin, hello. Hello. So, guys, thanks for being here. So, Glenn knows the drill. He was here last year. Uh, you know, we uh, we had him come in, and we had a, a short little segment to talk about all things horror. But uh, we thought we'd expand that this year and do a whole episode to talk to you guys. Um, I was lucky enough to, see, to bump into Larry down at Fantastic Fest, um, where he was showing ABC's The to Death 2. And um and I was like, hey, why don't you and Glenn just come on over and and we'll talk. And uh, he was happy enough to come on. So I, I thank you for that. Fantastic Fest. It was your first time, my first time. Did did you have a blast? It was a good time. It was amazing. It is
1: aptly named. It is fantastic. There's some really great rabid fans down there the way it's set up by tim league and his compatriots uh it's just a great environment that theater the alamo draft house has this whole uh conceit where you order drinks and eat while you watch a movie which may not be right for every film but it was perfect for our festive event and uh and it's just magnificent so many great fans and and uh and makers of horror uh, really a celebration of the genre and i was only there for three days i staggered home and Still haven't recovered.
0: Yeah, I was there for seven, and um, yeah, I probably left with a drinking problem, but we won't get into that, <laughs> but um, uh, but big shout out to Tim League and everybody down there for putting on a great fest again. Their 10th year, we're just making Glenn and Gavin completely jealous because, you know, they want to go, but, um, uh, but but real quick, ABC is a Death 2, you do the letter N, I yeah. believe, mm-hmm. um, you want to, because I think that's on, I think that's streaming now, and it's going to be in theaters come Halloween, but do you want to give... A little tease of what yours
1: is. Uh, well, mine is uh, the letter N. But more importantly, I just want to say that um, I think, by all accounts, the sequel is a more robust, uh, fabulous presentation of a lot of young talent. I'm sort of the old timer in the in the series, but there's a lot of people who really put themselves out. They clearly uh, went beyond the the budgets and the constraints of the three minute movie and it's a fabulous ride. I'm happy to be part of it. So by all means, check it out. VOD and then, uh, opens on Halloween in some theaters.
0: And, and uh, Glenn, you can speak on this too because you did VHS. You did the great, um, Tuesday to uh, the 17th, I believe, which is a great one. (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, because t- that's also kind of what you guys do in regards to Tales from Beyond the Pale. I mean, it's a nice little, like, anthology mixture of talent, telling great stories. Is that something that you guys are into? Is that something that that's always... Because you also just finished a kind of, like, anthology
2: project, too. Yeah, here. we did one for... Uh, I did one for Chiller, actually, Larry produced, uh, called The Trouble with Dad. And that's... Uh, that, that, <laughs> that, that was a piece... Poor Dad. That was a piece for a movie called uh, Chilling Visions, The Five States of Fear, a sequel to The Five Senses of Fear. Uh, yeah, I've always loved anthology. Uh, th- some of the earlier movies I saw were some of the old amicus movies uh, like uh, Asylum and Tales from the Crypt, and even collecting horror comics, and even watching you know, TV shows when I was growing up. We had a Roald Dahl TV show called Tales of of the unexpected. Huh. And they were just these rather adult, quite nasty, uh, telly plays quite dry in that kind of British 70s way. Uh, I always found them very intriguing. Similarly, Hammer had a thing called Hammer House of Horror. So it's really cool to be able to tap into that world. And even I sell the dead is a is basically an ontology movie, It's very much an ontology movie. It's just I use the same uh, protagonists and antagonists just in different settings and different stories so yeah it's uh, we love anthologies larry's a big fan too uh, in fact he gave me a couple of years ago he gave me a dead of night a uh, fabulous anthology uh so just tapping into the history of them all is is really
1: cool and uh, the other thing is is in a way glass eye Pixie is all about anthology in the sense that what i try to run is a is a community of filmmakers where we each help each other uh, in one capacity or another. Glenn knows about effects and titles. Uh, Graham Resnick, who's done some tales for us, uh, he's, a, he's a sound designer as well as a director. And uh, I think Glenn and I just wanted to expand that mission to the idea of having short-form audio plays, which are more affordable than obviously making movies, and to get uh, some of our comrades, people we've met at festivals, Uh, involved in the project and just get a lot of voices and a lot of stories out there and really celebrate the diversity of possibilities in the horror genre which is something I'm sort of obsessed with because I think uh, horror is such a broad genre. You can have the the cautionary tale that has a sort of mythological bent like a Frankenstein. You can have the slasher film, uh, which is more about immediate terror of home invasion. You can have, uh, of course, science fiction is, is certainly in that tent. We can have aliens. All of this is possible in the audio format. So we've had just a blast inviting filmmakers and also uh, uh, literary authors, all types, to, to join us in our in our tent.
2: And I, I think it's an interesting uh, format for us to work in. When Larry and I initially decided to do it, we were uh, listening to Inner Sanctum, uh, which I believe it was a Peter Laurie tale, um, and that was the initial inspiration. But I think the further that we get into it, the deeper we get into it, we're realizing it's a pretty vital way of telling stories and can be a, a very contemporary way of getting stories out of us there's a lot of houses all over that do uh that, that do audio dramas but they harken back to the old time days yeah. and i think that's a little bit stifling for for the format uh, it there's no reason it, it can't be contemporary it can't be uh forward thinking it can't be experimental you know i think if if we were still kind of going sort of uh, vaudevillian jazz hands with this we, we would we would uh lose a lot of uh i think the eccentricity that we bring to the to the to the format
0: and I I just so I just I want to veer for a second and just talk about Glass Eye Picks and give some love to that for people that might not be aware of it. What, how long ago did you start that? Was was Habit the first Glass Eye
1: pick? Well, to be technical, it was 1985 I came oh, up with the came up with the name. But of huh. course, uh that was I worked with a lot of performance artists in the 80s and I would use it as my nom de plume when I would edit for people and so on. Uh but uh, no telling, my first film uh 1990 was sort of when I it, it, it officially had a logo in front of the picture.
0: And since then, was obviously a habit. Wendigo um, started the career of Ty West, Glenn, obviously. Um, uh, I have a, a funny story about Bitter Feast, uh, directed by Joe Maggio, that I told Larry at Fantastic Fest. I, I, I We have to have gone down the history books at Filmmaker Magazine as the only magazine that produced a magazine while a film was being made right next to us. <laughs> we were in the IFP office one night, and... Joe and his crew suddenly show up with Joshua Leonard to do a very important scene to, for for Bitter Feast, which also uh, stars uh, James o Gross and um, is about... Well, J- Joshua is, was the critic, right? He's he's the critic that wrote something very nasty about uh, Josh's meal and Josh... Uh,
1: and James, uh, J- 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 James James, exacts uh, revenge. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, here again, we speak about, or I speak about, the different types of horror. And what I love about that is it's sort of a torture porn setup, which is to say that the um, afflicted restaurateur exacts his revenge on this critic by uh, chaining him in the basement and performing various... Cooking tests. Uh, he reads the review that the nasty review that James has written. I'm sorry, that Josh has written, and then says, uh, "You know, well, why don't you make a perfect egg?" So. I, we were making our ma-
0: finishing the magazine for that scene. It was for the one. It was for the one that uh, where where Joshua was actually taken. But um, it was a fun just to see all that kind of play out. Well, fun now because we got through the uh, the magazine, got through the issue. But um, it was fun to be there and kind of see how
1: things go down. Well, it's good for filmmaker magazine to see how films get made on these so-called low-budget movies, which we're all advocating. But now you realize they're a pain in the ass because they're we're in there asking for favors, asking, can you please all be quiet while you're trying to finish your work we're trying to get our thing done believe it or not i think that scene was cut but we used all the hallway stuff. the hallway yeah the hallway stuff was was and i
0: think there's one shot where Josh has his back at the desk, right? And exactly. you're kind of just like panning. So yes, yeah. but Jason um, was only looking for himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, like yeah, where am I? I the important
1: shot? stuff was cut. Yeah. Let's be clear. <laughs> but anyway, that's a little film I'm very proud of because it sort of is about the the mission. It's a really well written script. We had just ten crew members make that film at a, I think, a hundred grand, and you know the the financier wanted something to sell the picture as well as this fine cast. We got uh, Amy Simons is in it, uh, Josh Leonard and and James Legro. but we, uh, we managed to get Mario Batali to do a, uh, do a cameo and that sort of gave it a little bit of a sparkle. And, and so those are some of my favorite little unsung glass eye pictures. Obviously there's the Ty West and the Jim Mickle and Glenn's pictures, but I like these little ones as well. That's sort of how we kept the, the brand uh, fresh.
0: And then obviously, like any horror, the, the, the scope expands when you go in a little deeper, like last winter, which is very much about the environment and just, let's say, you know, something like the the thing like where, you know, these guys trapped someplace and uh, something is um, running amok.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that has certainly been my agenda to address, not in a didactic way, I hope, though some would accuse me of it, but to really engage with social issues and 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 the collapse of civilization as I see it which I think is imminent uh and urgent to to address and what better format than horror I mean you could make a documentary and that would be one thing or but to just do straight drama about what a mess we've made is not as compelling to me as bringing in the the supernatural the the uh, all the textures that horror can can you know embrace and that's why I'm, I'm stuck with the genre. I love it because it's an aesthetic thing. It's beyond just uh, the themes of, of the film.
0: Through all of these decades now, doing it is still
1: the number one thing just hustling for the money? Is, is that... Absolutely. True? I mean, I've got scripts now. I never used to have more than one project. That was especially the early years when I was essentially working... Uh, for my own projects, you know, have it no telling when to go and last winter were all basically in succession. And then when I felt I had a little bit of a handle on things, that's when I started helping out younger filmmakers and trying to offer my model of basically just balls to the wall, go do it. Let's right. not, you know, here's a little bit of money. Let's see if you can make a picture. That was always the idea. That's how I got people like, uh, Ty started and and Joe Maggio's movie made. But now I finally now, so I used to just have one story I was going to make it would take me 3 4 years to get it all together. Now I've actually accumulated scripts. So it's a little more heartbreaking to glance over and realize I have, you know, 10 years of work if I could get the financing. So it's a little tougher because in a way Hollywood has figured out that horror is a business. You know, horror was always an outsider genre and it was not uh people didn't want to touch it. So you went to the mad uncle and you got the money or the dentist, you know. Whereas now it's it's a more formal you know, you can go to Lionsgate and try to pitch to them, yeah. but they have something very specific in mind, for example. So it's it's interesting. Um more films are made, you have easier access to equipment, and yet there's other uh things that are make independent films still a, a struggle and that's part of the the dynamic of, of being a filmmaker. It's and, and a we were ta-
0: we were talking to Glenn before we started recording, and Glenn, maybe you want to speak on this is just talk talk a bit about just Kickstarter in, in your realm of how you want to do projects? Is that
2: something that you want to explore or not so much? I'll tell you not so much uh, I've, for a few reasons. I, I guess I'm just sort of old school and I've been sort of uh, selling my wares uh, before the whole advent of it. Uh, so I'm kind of used to a different way of approaching people for money. Um, in that I'll find <laughs> I find people like Larry and and yes, it get them the Uh No, I mean, I, I have nothing against Kickstarter and I've plenty of friends who are doing it. And I think it's been incredible for for certain projects, kind of leaves me with a bit of a bad taste in my mouth when I when I see people using Kickstarter that could get the money mm. from uh, uh or using an, it more as investor. a promotional way than class, really yeah. getting money for yeah. a class. Yeah, I mean, ever. you know, it's fine. I've just been... I suppose I've been looking in a way uh, to be able to get the movies made. And in between trying to get those films made, I've, I've being able to return to Tales from Beyond the Pale. And, and, and like Larry was saying, I, I feel like over the past few years, I've definitely been building up scripts, which I never had before. But right now, I've got four very cool scripts on on the go. And I feel like I would rather kind of hit the right people hit the hit the producers hit the hit the movie guys with the money for those people then, than then friends, I guess, in a way. You know? Let's
0: let's talk about one of the projects that you mentioned to us last time you were here, which I believe was called Restoration, about a killer yeah. hand. <laughs> um,
2: how, how's that going? Uh, well, we've got a great script. And uh, <laughs> in, in a way, I wish I could just publish the script. You know what I mean? Put out a book of the script and maybe with some illustrations. Uh, it's, it's a terrific script, uh, actually, that um, I wrote the... Story for an, and Clay McLeod Chapman, uh, wrote the, wrote the actual script. And it's an homage to the, uh, Killer Hand movie. It's also got a very, uh, decidedly bisexual tint to it. So in a way, it kind of marries, uh, like the old gothic movies as well as something much more sexual, almost Spanish, almost Almodovarian in a way, uh, Marion does two worlds, uh drew out of a desire for me as a gay man to talk about sexuality. And, and I suppose, the funnest way for me is to couple it with horror, <laughs> you know, couple it with a creeping <laughs> severed hand. Uh So I mean, the, the, the scripts in a great place. Uh, it's a movie that's going to require a, more money than I think people are willing to throw my way for such an outsider project. It's not a vampire movie or a ghost house movie, you know, it's, a, it's, it's something else. So, in the meantime, uh, I have uh, worked with clay again, on a on a couple of other projects that we feel we can get out of us for a lot less money, you know, so it's kind of a, been a strategy to kind of get the get the uh, pieces behind me uh, and approach uh, folks with, you know, several different options. You know, I got, I got the the piece you can do for yeah. fifty grand. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I just want to speak to that because Glenn also has this awesome uh, graphic novel that we've been working on for quite a while, and that's an example of. You know, the thing about horror is it really, you, you know, the fans, they like the collectibles. They like the objects, the trading cards. I made trading cards for my old film Habit. Uh, I made a Wendigo figurine, you know, a limited edition, of course. And then we've made several comic tie-ins. Uh, I Sell the Dead has a comic tie-in. My recent film Beneath has a prequel as a comic uh, available on Comic G So... Um, uh, it it's funny when Glenn said he wanted to just publish the scripts. I sort of feel that way as well. Sometimes you just feel, well, these stories are worth telling and they already have their integrity. Of course, any script is a blueprint for a film that lives in the mind. But uh, one way to get it out is maybe... Uh, veer off and do a, a, um, a graphic novel. And that also is a, is a pitching tool. Maybe somebody could read that instead. If the script is too difficult to read, may I recommend this little seven-page comic of those, book?
0: <laughs> could any of those projects or any of the ones that really get a lot of attention of the stories you tell at Tales, could any of those or do you think of any of those as being like, we tease it on Tales, see what the reaction is, and if they like it, we flesh it out into movie form?
1: Well, I definitely have uh, a couple that I, well, I haven't made more than a couple, but uh, one of mine I think would make a, a classic Sort of the current breed of of horror film, you know, uh, because it is sort of a haunted house movie. So I'll let the audience figure out which one I mean. Uh, in any case, uh, we always thought it was sort of a fun pitching tool. Once again, you can imagine an executive uh, stuck in traffic, listening to a half hour show, and saying, "You know, let's throw them some money." It uh, hasn't happened, but uh, that's <laughs> But that's how we get the that's how we get the filmmakers interested. No, <laughs> <We're all hundreds. laughs>
0: Exactly, we got the lowly uh, executive driving, going. oh, what should I listen to? Yeah, perhaps it's well, money should I give? To? Exactly,
1: the executive with the satchel of I money in their car. Hog-a-ball. I have yeah. I got to give the money to somebody. I got to write this check to someone. <laughs> oh, what's
3: this? Well, do you do you ever feel pressure because you brought up the you know like doing a vampire film or or, or you know do you ever feel pressure to do something as banal as that <laughs> or Easy just to, to make something well just to make something that like cause you mentioned you know it's 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 harder to sell um something you know like like the hand project yeah
2: um i don't know i i do feel the pressure for me to write from from i don't know really where it comes from but from the heart like i i would have difficulty in trying to mold some of my ideas into something as specific as like some of the horror tropes that are going around right now like a while back, it had to be a zombie movie or it had to be, uh, you know, ghosts and vampire and so on, the cyclic kind of thing that's going on with horror, which I feel is kind of shift. Things are shifting a little bit. I think a lot of the movies and festivals right now are seem to be pretty original and sort of breaking out of those molds. But for me, I wish I could say, you know what, I'm going to apply my ideas to, uh, you know, a, a, a blood sucking movie, I think it could It would be great for my career. And there are certain people that can uh, uh, tackle those tropes and bring something really original to it. So, you know, I've nothing against that. But the stuff where it comes from, for me is just it's a little, it's always a little sideways, you know,
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm often trying to defend this idea of making original work. And I always like to point out that, you know, uh, Night of the Living Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Blair Witch Project, Saw, you name whatever movie that broke out and then started a trend. And then there were the imitators until it sort of petered out. That was the case with torture porn, Saw, Hostel. Uh, And then there was, I think, a refreshing shift with paranormal activity to sort of this more uh, ghostly supernatural uh, storytelling, The Conjuring, Insidious, and on and on, Sinister, Sinister 1, Sinister 2, Insidious 2. So, I mean, this is the trend we're in, and it happens to just be more my aesthetic than the torture porn, uh, as it was cl- called but meanwhile there's also the uh the original films that set trends or that simply stand outside of them like let the right one in that was neither eclipse uh, you know that was the trend in vampires but suddenly beautiful film comes out foreign film no less so i really that's the whole mantra at glass i picks is originality speak from the heart speak uh with uh intelligence take the genre seriously to the degree that you're not pandering And uh, that's what makes interesting work. And that's uh, it may be a fool's errand, but that's certainly what I stand for. And I've always had friends who sort of impatiently say, "Why don't you sell out?" And I'm honestly (laughs) incapable. I would love to sell out. I don't know how. You know, there's there's a there's a tipping point where you're like, I'm not going to pursue that storyline, or I'm not going to have the chick be that stupid it's just it's insulting it does it's not really why I didn't get, I don't want to make movies just to make movies I want to tell certain stories express certain things that's the reason to make movies it's not for the sake of it there's a great plumbing job down the road and honestly that's an honorary profession so that's the point and and, and just to to speak on your point
0: of just kind of like stories that are ingrained in us but are so strong that they just always resonate is a film like like the the babadook which played at fantastic fest played at sundance by an australian film filmmaker named jennifer kent which i love i've seen it twice now and i mean that is a very very kind of like by the rules very blueprint print like horror story but it ingrained in it is this really tough strong proud story about a single mom and her kid and it's beautifully done but i mean just the story and also the performance as well really make that make that film rise to another level
1: well typically i haven't seen it but it's the one movie uh this year that i've been looking forward to for its aesthetics which i can garner from the trailer a certain element and it reminds me of uh pan's labyrinth you know here's a beautiful fantasy film it's every reason that fantasy films are made they're great monsters beautiful design a sense of mood and yet it's about uh the war it's about uh, fascism it's so it's in its dna is an a raging story about uh the injustices in the world and yet you're passionately involved in the individual stories as a great villain who by the way was played by a, a famous spanish comedian i mean there's so much richness there of course this is guillermo del toro's film babadook has that same feeling now those people are making movies with tremendous passion single-mindedness and embracing the horror tropes and hopefully surprising and busting out of the marketplace. There's no, uh, you know, the, it, that's, that's the essence of, of great cinema is something fresh, exciting. And from the heart, clearly she's expressing anxieties about, uh, not liking her child. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> Which
1: and, I and, hate it when that and, happens. And you know, this is
0: going to be sacrilege, but it's mm. done so well that if it does take off, this opens end of November for people that want to see it. Um, is that I could see a studio grabbing onto this and really just stripping of it all of its things and releasing it to a more broader audience. But that's that's the kind of story that it is. That it. it well, are you are you that saying could... that they would
1: remake it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. All right. Well, look. I mean, this is what happens. And and um, by the way, I just want to say you know that's why it's it's, one has to be cautious in these interviews to just appear like an old curmudgeon because i think let me in is actually a wonderful film matt reeves who i've always liked his work he made cloverfield but the point is, is let me in is a remake it's in english folks you can actually watch it without reading uh and uh but Let's not take away from the fact that it is really a, a revisit of something that was already absolutely splendid. So some remakes are okay. Yes. Uh, I was tasked with remaking a very beloved Spanish film called uh, The Orphanage, El Orfanato. Mm-hmm. and um, Fantastic film. Uh, yeah, fantastic that was film. a great film. Of course, what was exciting for me, I worked with Guillermo del Toro, is we actually... Made what we thought were improvements, if you will, or at least alterations to the original that that made it sort of worth doing again, and setting it in a new England uh, and town and making it a ghost story, so obviously one is tasked with this one 's going to make justifications of why this remake is worth doing so it's I think the real issue with all of this is like what are the motivations behind it? Um, you know what are the executives? decision making and and so on so remakes need to be on a case-by-case basis but as a basic instinct it seems somewhat corrupt when there's so many original ideas out there look at glenn's film the the crawling hand i've got to see that plus there's bisexual activity in it i'm i'm the first in line
0: <laughs> let me ask you this larry from the orphanage experience would you go down that remake road again um
1: if if it was <laughs> if it was babadook <laughs> <laughs> call jennifer kent right now absolutely yeah it doesn't have to be made by a woman come on no look uh yeah it's all case by case if there's a great executive i mean listen i only would cons- i considered the orphanage and was honored by the whole yeah. enterprise because it was guillermo he was uh, uh he handpicked me to do it he believed that i would have something to offer so there's a scenario where of course it was great executives a new line everything about it was a great experience contrary to the one sentence summary of what happened which is that we parted on differences in casting i mean actually i think a certain level of reality crept in and they felt that the the type of actors they wanted actresses uh were not going to meet their price point and so on all these subtle things that are much harder to summarize in a in a one sentence a lot different than
0: when it's a glass eye project and it's just like Fuck it all, just go out and
1: make the damn thing, and Absolutely. we'll figure it out. Can we say fuck it on the radio yeah, here? Oh, well then, fuck it all, that's our <laughs> attitude. I would have made the orphanage for $50,000. All right, so let, we're,
0: we're going to take a break here, and we're going to—Glen uh, and Larry were nice enough to give us some uh, little excerpts of um, a couple of the um, tales from Tales from Beyond the Pale. So we're going to do the first one. It's called Caper. It's written by Larry. Um, can you tease us here, Larry? Can you give us a little who's who's
1: in it? Yeah, Caper. So we did this live. It was quite ambitious. I had the idea um, really along the lines of what Glenn and I were saying, how much dialogue can I strip away? How much of my story can I make purely visual? And it became the story of a house that was sort of transforming when these robbers broke into it and there uh, so we used sound effects to create depth and size changing and you know the wood cracking open so it was a great challenge especially to do live later on we are able to slightly refine and craft in the studio so even these live shows have been um, teased out for the for the audience now this is uh, at the very end of the story so you'll just enjoy this uh,
0: uh, who are the characters the voice
1: we'll be hearing is Mark Margolis who of course people know he was uh, speechless in um, Breaking Bad, uh, ringing the bell, but he's a lovely actor who's been in all of Aronofsky's movies and he has a, a beautiful voice and it was a great honor yeah, to have him seen
0: in Scarface. If course, I may be so
1: bold, which is to say. funny. It's, he's still remembered for that because he was on a set of Amazing. mine and people still come up and, and thank him for that movie. Uh, so this is at the tail end. they've gotten the, the mystery box out of the, out of the tower of this house. And, uh, one of the, the last surviving member of the gang, delivers it to the mastermind who's Margolis. And, uh, well, I don't know what Glenn served up, but let's listen. You're alone.
4: Are you surprised?
5: I see you got the box. How'd you manage it?
4: I, I don't know what you mean.
5: How'd you get it from the others? Did you double-cross them?
4: I didn't have to. It seemed they, uh, they seemed to have done themselves in.
5: Oh, yeah. That's garrison for you. Like a big, awful mirror on the soul.
4: Or maybe you set them up. Maybe you had someone in there kill them all. For, uh, for revenge. Some sort of revenge. I don't know.
5: I don't believe in revenge, Mr. Spitz. I believe in Justice.
4: Okay, all right, fine. Anyway, here's the box. I don't know what's inside, but I hope it was worth it. Turner was a friend of mine and I've never seen a man so shattered and then busted up.
5: Don't you want to know what's inside? (laughs)
4: Look, just give me the money and you won't see me again.
5: I think you want to know what's in the box.
4: It's pretty heavy. It can't be a couple of diamonds.
5: No, nah, no, nah, not gems, but precious just the same. Kind of has the weight of a small child, don't you think? Folded up in there.
4: Look, I'm not I'm not playing games with you, Bates. You sick fuck. Just give me the money. We did our end of the deal. I bought the damn box.
5: You might want to call home, Spitz. Make sure everything's okay with the wife and the kid.
4: Get yeah. What are you. What are you talking about? What are you saying? What's in there?
5: Oh, go on and see for yourself. You've gone through so much trouble to bring it to me. <laughs>
4: are you paying or what? Where is the money?
5: Check the box.
4: Are you crazy?
5: Check. The box.
4: Are you nuts? Check the box. I'll kill you, old man. You hear me, I'm gonna kill you.
5: Shouldn't you get that? It could be your wife. Maybe she has some news. Alright, so I wanna know what's in the box. What's in the box? <laughs> so Gavin,
0: you you've seen this yes, you've seen this, this live. Out. So um give us your reaction of what well, you uh the whole
3: thing is I mean, the whole experience is really brilliant um you go in as an as an audience and larry's giving you money under the table right now. yes exactly he's just paying me off like i've never actually seen it no but uh but no you you, uh you go in as an audience and what's cool is uh especially about tales is uh you never knew what you were prepared for each story is very very different i know we keep talking about anthology but uh but i mean it's it's insane the um the amount of ambition, as you said, uh, that went into this this story, especially Caper. I mean, there's a there's a massive explosion in, in this story, and every, everything. Like, uh, and and just being able to see you guys do it live, doing the sound effects, uh, it adds this whole other element to it. Glenn's uh, piece, Crush, which we'll hear from later on, had audience participation. I mean, the, you know, it's it's this crazy sort of kinetic experience. You really invite. The audience into these stories and because of that it becomes a very you know people tend to forget that the mind is a very powerful visual medium on its own and you begin experiencing it even when you're just seeing these actors in front of you reading from music stands but they the emotion the the sound effects it's it's really brilliant if you ever get a chance to see this live take it up do it go there and just have so much fun well that that's the question i have is is that kind
0: of next level for you guys? That you would release something where you would, you know, videotape what you guys are doing live and, and cut it that way and release it that way?
1: Um, well, look, anything's possible, and we have a great documentary in season two. Which these are box sets, mind you. We're very old school that way; they come out with beautiful packaging. And in the uh, second season, we include a lovely documentary of the live shows, so you get a real sense of how they felt and what. Oh, they- I might be in
3: them. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, actually, yeah, that's the enticement. That, in fact, you might even be on the cover Oh yes. <laughs> because it's a shot of the audience, it's but uh, <laughs> and we did have you enhanced. Um, but one thing I want to speak to, because uh, it's just what's fun about radio and what's odd about watching radio is that I absolutely we instruct the actors not to perform to the audience or for that matter even integrate with each other as is traditionally the the number one note for an actor is you know listen to the other actor and play to them but the irony is here you're acting to the microphone so there's this strange disconnect to somebody who's perhaps struggling to open the door and they're just talking like this but they're really just dealing with the microphone and then over in the corner you see Glenn like manhandling a prop uh, doorknob and you know so there's this lovely disconnect and we always say listen if it's too much just close your eyes and then you're back into this uh incredible visual imaginative world that uh, we're trying to
2: create i think what was fun about doing it live is that you as like the foley foley person and and the sound design sound artist they become the the physicality of the of the actors you know they become the physical performance whereas true our actors it's it's purely vocal it's really interesting to watch the actors, uh, when they get into it. There's an intensity uh, that's almost creepy. They're not at all physical, but it's all vocal and facial. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. And we were talking earlier about, um, Barbarian Sound yeah. Studio. Yeah. Um, and there's some great moments in that movie. I didn't love it in general, but the moments where the actors are in the sound boot, and uh, uh, recording the ADR are, are so transformative, like you'll have this young Italian actress kind of casually walk in, throw her handbag on the floor. Uh, but as soon as he says, says, says action, uh, and she starts screaming, and you realize, you know, she's actually a witch being burned at the stake now. And you're with her for for five minutes, as she screams. To her death uh, i love the idea that uh you can be transformed without uh such a such a uh, a, a painted picture to rely on yeah.
1: um i just uh glenn inspires me to pitch one of our episodes um it's called ram king and it's by joe maggio who we've spoken of and uh it is uh without Well, with giving away the ending, (laughs) someone does burn at the stake. And it's harrowing. It's truly harrowing because we've gotten to know this person and we see that they're clearly an innocent and the the, uh, reason they're being burned is heartbreaking and so on. It stars Vincent D'Onofrio and Owen Campbell, who's been in several of our movies. He's a younger actor. Um, And uh, it's just another thing that I love about tales. This is a period piece. It takes place in, what, the 1600s? And it's all about how you make... uh, uh, cheese with rennet and this kid uh, uh, comes to understand that and they consider him a witch because he's, uh, you know, these are the dark arts. It's spectacular and that would only, I don't think there are too many executives who green light this and yet it's one of our strongest pieces and it's harrowing as as Glenn is describing the witch burning. We we have our own witch burning.
3: Well, it's funny because the uh, I think it's because of the first one I saw, the one uh, that really stuck with me was the alien abduction one, which I've I apologize i cannot think
1: of the name of jeff bueller wrote the stranger stranger or yes. stranger. stranger it's spectacular yes. as well and, and, and we have a lot of screaming in that
3: one too <laughs> i was gonna say that's that's what stuck with me was the the screaming from the actors but like you said there wasn't it it wasn't coming for i don't it was just such a weird place that it was coming from it wasn't like they were like super emoting
1: but it was very real and very t- terrifying. Well, it's very immediate. And the yeah. other thing, if I could just... Uh, that one has this great quality because the aliens, when they appear, have... And it's just one of these incredible visual experiences that you have when you go to see tales. They're just Glenn with a couple of bamboo sticks <laughs> going... But it's so distressing because you start to picture what that creature is.
3: Yeah, and your mind goes a million different ways yeah, You're like, what will make that noise? It's
1: very Lovecraftian because you're seeing something that's, you know, inside out. In other words, it starts to defy, well, whatever your imagination uh, will, will – wherever it will take you. It's, it's good fun.
0: So uh, you, you guys are going to do season three, right? Yeah. So uh, what can you tell us about season three? Can you tell us any of the – cast involved. (laughs) What? Larry, what can I get out of you right now?
1: Well, I want to just start, and then I'll let Glenn, he can spill whatever beans. I know, exactly. He's bursting at the seams over there. Uh, No, I just want to say that we are going back to the studio for this one, which will be great fun, because I feel like um, as much as we enjoy doing the live shows, and we are doing one in L.A., uh, upcoming, um, but uh, there's something that truly fulfills the mission which is to have this absolutely immersive soundscape uh when you when you're able to control it completely and i think as glenn always says you know you can do more than one take with the actor and really refine that so uh much as i love the live challenge uh, i also like the control and we have lots of new and old collaborators glenn do you have anything to say
6: about this
2: well uh, just getting back to the idea of going back to the studio it's we actually did a piece we recorded a piece before my wedding <laughs> i got married on july 26th and so maybe 2 weeks before the wedding we we recorded a piece of mine called the ripple at cedar lake and uh so actually we've got we've got one down this there's, is there's actually Sort of a, a a tear in the space time f- fabric mixed with a sexy noir. <laughs> so, uh, you, I was going to say, you've just won this <laughs> room. Okay. You, yeah. you got us all. No, no big deal. <laughs> the, uh, so for me, it was having edited since edited it. Uh, it's so much fun to return to the studio because I think we've brought back to the studio what we learned. Um, live which is you, you know the enjoyment of the spontaneity and and uh and so on so to to go back into the studio and, and to be left in the edit room with takes is is amazing you know you can begin to sculpt a little bit more so for me i feel like we're we're really going to knock the ball out of the park with season three i really feel like we're, we're we've been around the block and it's it's fun to to uh really sink our teeth into uh studio and effects um, and then just uh, regarding collaborators, I mean, it's, it's part of the joy with ontology is to kind of curate these seasons and, and pick people that you think are, are going to add some flavor and spice and maybe something that's, that's missing um, from, you know, what you've already collected. So I mean, as Larry said, we've got some, some people we've worked with before There's ourselves, Jeff Bueller, Graham Resnick is going to come back. Uh collaborators I'm most excited about actually is uh Bra Bram Ravel, who's a comic book artist. Uh he's got a series called Gorillas. He also did the I Sell the Dead comic. He he wrote an awesome piece, uh April Snellings, uh um a writer for Rue Morgue, did an has done an incredible backwoods kind of horror piece and uh you know we're reaching out to a few more people um and that's 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 larry's like
4: (laughs) don't give it all
2: away
0: (laughs) um uh when will when will we
1: see season three can we uh let's just throw everything on you right now (laughs) no no by all means uh 2015 does that help no uh well we're hoping to get them out uh in the spring counter programming we can't do everything in the fall uh, we may have a little treat for Halloween. We're just talking about how to get that going, um, and uh, yeah, and in season three, I think uh, am I am I pushing too much to say that we? One thing about anthologies that we haven't discussed is the the wraparound element, which is usually the challenge in a story um, or in a, in the whole presentation, and that's one of the reasons Dead of Night is truly one of the great. Um, anthology movies because the wraparound becomes almost as compelling as the individual stories. And I think that's also true of tales from the crypt where they're all sort of gathered in some kind of purgatory. Um, Yeah.
3: (laughs) Oh, that's when you mentioned tales from the crypt earlier, this is a sidetrack, but that's, I remember my father scarring me as a kid with all through the house, which is the first story in the the Amicus Tales in the Crypt, which is Joan Collins being chased around her house by a man dressed as Santa Claus, oh, who's who's attempting yeah. to kill her. And I just remember being like a seven year old and my <laughs> father showing me this film. Uh which is probably why I love Christmas so much. It's <laughs> true.
1: Well the the guy reading the newspaper and suddenly the blood splats onto the yes. newspaper is one of the most iconic images in my entire life. Um so the wraparound. Yeah. Well we're gonna we're gonna see what uh what we can tease out for the for the listeners and start to talk about uh, the 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 over the overall setting in which tales unfold. So I'll leave it at that because that's about as far as we've gotten.
2: So, but yeah, really, we're talking about you know over the entire season uh, three. We we have our with, with tales. We have to wrap around where Larry plays the host, and in season one, the host would uh get all of these tales delivered to to him in the mail. <laughs> like uh what was it? Simon ba- Simon Rumley's piece came from England stuffed inside a little teddy yeah. <laughs> that Larry had to slice open. And so, yours
1: came
2: in a fish. Yeah, you had to gut the right. fish together. I get remember my the story. the Ron Perlman
0: one, it's like you have to press a little button or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh I have this little drive here and I have to press <laughs> oh, this button. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so we always have these, you know, one off little moments, so the idea is for season three that we'll extend a, a story with the host that you know you gotta you gotta oh okay Larry's got a sore throat again. <laughs> well,
0: well, well let's a- let's let's tease um, what you guys are gonna do October 29th out in LA. Tell everybody um, what what you can tell.
2: Sure. Well we were invited by uh, Daniel Noah of Vision, uh to come out to SpectraFest, which is uh, kind of a big horror. a lot of cinema but somewhat multimedia event that they're housing all over LA so we're going to be going out there on the 29th to uh, uh, perform three audio dramas
1: yeah and honestly that's about that's the only thing we know so far we're trying to get a a poster together we have the tales written, it's myself Glenn and uh, Clay McLeod Chapman again and uh, they're wonderfully diverse and yet Uh, there'll be some sort of continuum between them and yeah we're casting up, all of that we'll sort of save because nothing's set in stone but uh, we hope to have some fun performers on the stage and we're going to just see how it goes down in our new environment we did another Live Tales um, at the Stanley Film Festival which is at the famous hotel where Stephen King stayed and was inspired to write The Shining Um, it's a lovely little festival and there was a a rapt audience uh, for our one-time-only performance of uh, two tales, which we melded together, and that—that that was uh, great fun. And I think it was—it was heralded as a highlight of the festival because the thing is, this is so fresh, and it doesn't have the the stigma of being a film that is presumably looking for distribution or that it has been a success or a failure. It sort of lives outside of all of the business element of showbiz, and yet. Is very much what people love about horror. It's a, it's a story that has uh, atmosphere and all the the nasty bits that people uh, who follow horror are, are craving. So, hopefully, we'll be able to do the same uh, at the SpectreFest.
3: Now, will these uh, the stories you're doing at SpectreFest and the stories you did at the Stanley Film Festival, or will any of those see the light of day? Are they going to become part of season three? Are they further down the line, or are they just my
1: lips are sealed. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, if, 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 if you can't get out to
0: L.A., um, Go to TalesFromBeyondThePale.com because you can hear a lot of uh, great ones there, um, like I did yesterday.
1: Yeah, we and- have a, a what I call the, uh, the the listening room, and it's a fun little place to go where it's two of the fun tales fun. are are free to listen to, so half an hour streaming uh, a full hour of content. I think right now we have the alien tales up for your yes. entertainment. <laughs> they're very good.
3: The so, whole website's beautifully designed too.
1: Ah, that's Gary Pullen for the website. Gary Pullen, we haven't even mentioned him, but it's, it was so much part. Part of what got us, I think, truly committed to Tales from Beyond the Pale the first season was that we engaged Gary Pullen, the great uh, pulpy artist, um, famous for designing Rue Morgue for years. He's now off on his own. He does T-shirts for rock shows and all sorts of uh, poster art. Anyway, he did all 10 Tales posters and the logo and uh, subsequently the website, and it just gives that... Um, that polish and that that lovely atmosphere to the whole enterprise.
0: So uh, to close this out, I want to um, just play a little excerpt from The Crush, which was written by Glenn. Glenn, what can you tell us going into uh, into this? Te- tease it a little bit for us.
2: Well, The Crush was, I, I was inspired myself and my husband, Lee, uh, were in Napa Valley and... Lee was doing the driving and I basically got shitfaced uh uh hopping from one vineyard to the other uh uh tasting wines and as the sun was going down I started to to think that vineyards are actually pretty creepy you know uh pretty interesting silhouettes in the evening uh and I'm also a big fan of Falcon Crest <laughs> so I guess I just wanted to kind of, uh, well, basically, the crush is my take on Falcon Crest,
0: voiced by the Voice by uh, we got
2: Sean Young, Young uh, James Legros is back, and a couple of our local ta- talent, uh, John Sparadakis and Matt Hoffman.
0: Okay, so before we play this, um, I want everyone that's listening to turn, basically, turn off the lights. You need to turn off the lights for this. You need to set the mood. Needs to be nice and dark. And and Larry, if if I may ask, I want you. To intro into this as as you would a live tales event, give us give us uh, your little intro before you would open the doors to another tale from the Pale.
1: Well, welcome listeners, and now we'll hear a little excerpt from Glenn Mcade's "The Crush." So please enjoy this devious little moment. I believe the husband has something to say to his ex-wife.
6: I leapt out of the bed and ran to the window. That's when I saw him Tommy looking right at me. Marty, Marty.
5: I've come back for you, Marty.
6: I turned away from the window and there he was right in front of me. Covered in muck and gnawed vines, half of his face still missing, and perched on his shoulder, a mean old crow pacing back and forth, looking ready to pounce on me. I've come to take you with me. His cold maggot breath made my stomach turn. His rotten arms stretched forward slowly. I wanted to scream, but couldn't. Come with. Me will be sorry. Come with you. To your stinking grave. You must be joking. I've got something in store for you, Marty. And you're not going to make it. Go on with you. Get back to your grave, you... You don't belong up here. Just then, the crow on Tommy's shoulder and plucked out an eye from his blackened face it didn't swallow it just kept it there in its beak so both eyes kept on staring at me
0: So we just heard the crush um uh, uh very
3: spooky and, and yeah. sinister. and it's uh, got a very um a, a 70s feel to it i don't know if that's that's like inappropriate but that's what i when i saw it live that's the first thing i thought was like it felt like that very atmospheric 70s sort of
2: yeah i just wanted it to feel gothic and uh, it seemed to me that a vineyard was an interesting place to sort of set a, a haunted house kind of uh Revenge from Beyond the Grave story. A lot of my influences come from EC Comics, still to this day. Uh, I really envision most of my outlines as a as a piece of Johnny Craig artwork. Uh, Johnny Craig did a lot of the covers for uh, Vault of Horror, uh, Tales from the Crypt, and also most importantly to me was crime suspense stories, uh, which are these kind of really pulpy noir slash ec horror uh you just speak in my language man you just really are <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to me i see a lot of johnny craig craig's influences uh, influence in stuff like miller's crossing there's a lot of shots actually i really feel of just right out of the pages of crime suspense story so it's fun to see uh an artist like that have a stamp on on cinema so for me it was fun to just uh delve into that kind of gothic world uh and tying it into something that's uh pretty personal to me which is drinking wine
0: (laughs) now now i love sean young i love uh sean young uh normal i love sean young crazy i love i love all sean young so please tell us a sean young story
1: well, I had worked with Sean, actually, it's so bizarre, but I can tell you I worked with her twice, once on an old film called Headspace, and then more recently, um, the same producer uh, made a film uh, called Jugface. and in that, Sean and I were husband and wife, uh, Southern, <laughs> real Southern-like, <laughs> and uh, Sean is great. She's really feisty, and she's smart as a tack, and she really, uh, she likes to show that she's been on some big sets and you know so she's very in with the crew and i think she keeps everyone on their toes and she can be a little bit exhausting that way because she is the uh, she knows what's going on in the room more than anyone else but all of this is part of her charm and uh i really enjoyed hanging out with her and i wanted to invite her once i read glenn's script i said we've really got to get sean to do this that would be too awesome and it just happened that she was in the east coast and we we brought her in And sure enough, she's in a rehearsal environment and she starts telling all the actors her notes. And, you know, it was fine (laughs) because we create a a very relaxed atmosphere and it is collaborative and nobody's getting paid a lot. So we have to sort of roll with uh, people's personalities and let them flex their muscles. So it was a a great um, rehearsal period. We usually rehearse. Uh, we have a reading uh, one night and then we get into the space and we would rehearse it live and then we go up that night. So it's real fast. And uh, Sean kept us on our toes and then she totally delivered on the night. It was an absolute blast.
2: Yeah, I mean, as Larry says, it's it's part of her charm. I think Sean really loves uh, the uh, the build-up to the actual filming or actual performance. So... Uh, a lot of the time in rehearsal was really just there was a lot of passion from her, and a lot of it is bananas, but you know it's it's passion, and it got story, it got us all talking, and and then I'll never forget right before the show, I just sat down with Sean for fifteen minutes, and I went over the script with her uh, very quickly before we went on, and uh, I'll never forget how how quickly we went through it all, and how much she listened to everything I was saying, and then watching her, she followed every direction. And even little curveballs, I was throwing her like a new line and what that new line really meant, you know, because it kind of almost changed the entire character, she got all of that. Uh, so it was it was cool. And she's, she's great. I mean, she's a little kooky, beautiful woman, but am very passionate she tells it like it is you know mm-hmm.
1: she's one of the guys that's the reason she's controversial because right. she's operating like one of the guys she's got strong opinions a lot of passion and as glenn says she's a real artist She's a professional. You, and when
0: and when, she, when her head's right and she's in it she pulls off amazing stuff like she does here in the crush i mean it's
1: yeah yeah she's perfect for it so well here's a spoiler i'm gonna work with her again so we'll see what that is
0: will we can come back in a year absolutely. and we'll,
3: we'll we'll talk talk some yeah,
1: more we're Sean. we're just Young.
0: trying
3: to make this a tradition. Here. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, exactly. A <laughs> Hollywood tradition. Oh, absolutely. So let's
0: so so let's so let's end on this. It's 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 Halloween um uh, it, uh, one after everyone goes and listens to Tales from Beyond the Pale or goes out to LA to watch it, um the one movie you would recommend people to see on Halloween night. The one movie. <laughs>
3: oh.
2: I'll go first with Let's Scare Jessica to Death.
3: Yes, yeah, <laughs> I love that movie.
2: There's just something very surreal, very ethereal about that movie. And it's it's a, also a movie that I saw when I was a kid and just didn't understand. It was a, It's a very adult piece, and I think horror needs to start catering to adults again. Uh, It's a beautiful movie. It's almost like a a, a Terrence Malick haunted witch house story. It's it's quite gorgeous. And the lead actress, Zora Lambert, most of the charm from the movie, for at least for my money uh, comes from her and she's got this incredible uh, inner dialogue. the entire movie that is just beautiful it's very whispery it's a very quiet movie um so yeah let's scare jessica to death
1: it's funny you know uh making horror and talking about it and i realized that chasing the very specific flavor of horror it, it it's it's actually hard to find i'm gonna offer one idea and that is burnt offerings which is just another uh, it, 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 yeah, <laughs> it is. and you can tell Glenn and I have an affection for this, this period in, in horror that all obviously has Oliver Reed, but it has an, uh, and, and Betty Davis, Betty Davis and Mrs. Alladice. It's she, unbelievable. She's
3: so old in the movie. She gives such a physical <laughs> performance. It's no, it's crazy. The, she has this one scene where she's just writhing in bed and it's just like, how, how is she pulling that off? Like.
1: It's amazing. I used to love Betty Davis, and and it was so great to see her keep going. Talk about one of the guys. I mean, she was a tough cookie all along. And the dilemma with the son, and there's a scene in the pool. It's just devastating. And then he comes – well, he almost kills his own son. Um, And then he's on the lawn for this scene that seems to be one take for for four and a half minutes or whatever it is where he's in anguish. And there's so many great – evocative things in that movie including like the tree that won't you know that crashes and won't let them leave the the haunted house and all of it plus it's another one where the house itself is is
2: haunted and yeah. changing and and uh lots of great stuff great they're very influential Burgess movie Marianne here uh here glenn <laughs> also made by dan curtis uh yeah. of dark shadows fame and he also did dracula and uh so on but yeah Burnt offerings, I actually had the pleasure of having dinner with Karen Black about ten years ago, and I got some fun stories out wow. of her and one was uh there's a scene where uh Oliver Reed and Karen Black are kind of almost dancing in the swimming pool, basically, Oliver Reed is trying to get his leg over and Karen told me that uh in the filming of that, Reed kept on twisting her around in the pool so he was always facing camera. <laughs> and when she asked him to stop doing it he threw a hissy fit <laughs> uh, anyway that's my little karen black story but we'll talk about a great cast you got karen black burgess meredith eileen eckert and uh, uh oliver reed fabulous movie
1: and betty davis, betty davis and lee nobody, Montgomery. nobody
3: does slow crazy like oliver reed and karen black
1: <laughs> like. well, the,
2: the best thing about oliver reed is there's he, it's very enjoyable to watch him choose scenery. I think from Curse of the Werewolf on, and there's a great movie called I'll Never Forget What's His Name, which starts off with Oliver Reed walking through 1960s London with an axe on his shoulder, um, and rush hour. Uh, just, The camera loves him and he knows it. Um, another great movie with Oliver Reed is Paraniac, uh, directed by cinematographer Freddie Francis. And he's on fire. I mean, he's just darting all over the place and <laughs> the camera's trying to catch up with him. It's a remarkable performer. Get, 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 uh, I want to say God, one please, thing.
1: Please. Uh, not to break the mood, and we love these older films, but I'm also hugely a fan of uh, The Mist, which is a recent yeah. horror film devastating people hate the ending people love the ending i think it's a uh, a thoroughly bleak Wonderful monster film, uh, parable about uh, you know uh, s- social structures and uh, incredibly atmospheric. And just to say that they have made some good movies recently, <laughs> that's the one I I favor.
3: I know because I was gonna go, I was gonna go back even further. One of my favorite horror films is uh, The Innocents. Oh, absolutely. And uh, the key word to that movie is patience. I think, but it's so worth it. Deborah Kerr is beautiful in it, and and. I love the story, Turn and Screw, so... All right, well, now you got me going.
1: <laughs> also, The Uninvited, an- yes. another wonderful, spooky ghost story. That
3: was my movie of the day yesterday. Oh, my movie of sweet. the day for Halloween, so... Also,
1: Glenn was... I just bought, because Glenn reminded me, reminded me The Other. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. not The Others. Right. The <laughs> Other. It's the prequel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the prequel. So there's so much spooky fun. And then when you said you were going to go back in time, I was going to say, but make no mistake, I always throw on the Universal Horror Movies yeah. uh, all through October. Nothing better than seeing Frankenstein lumbering about. Is, and, is that your favorite? Uh, I, I mean, in a way, I just think, I mean, I also had a great kinship with the Wolfman and the Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's really hard to, to choose a favorite.
0: I, I'm going hokey because I have a pregnant wife at home and a two year old, so I cannot show any of these movies that we're speaking of, or not most of them. So I'm gonna go hokey and I'm going to go um House on Haunted Hill. But oh, the nineteen fifty nine. We're not talking about the most recent William Castle one, <laughs> no, Vincent that's Price. Right. That's not so hokey. That 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 one I love just for this you know, the skeleton floating by but you can see the wire. The wire you know, yeah. you you know, and that's- Vincent Price just being <laughs> Vincent Price. Vincent Price yes. coming on set and knowing motherfucker i'm vincent price i'm just gonna do Rem- i'm just gonna do me
1: poison me what fun yeah. we have <laughs> like, yeah but it? uh i'm all for showing the wires that's been the <laughs> mantra glass i picks to let, let let everyone know this is
0: fake <laughs> show, show the secrets yeah, show exactly
1: they have to work a little harder then
0: <laughs> well well guys um you've given us so much time we really appreciate it um we hope everybody out there got a kick out of it if you're out in la October twenty ninth, Tales from Beyond the Pale. Go see it, or you could just go right now to talesfrombeyondthepale.com. dot uh, com. December second, two of the stories are going to be on vinyl. Do we know the stories or?
1: Yeah, that's uh, Hole Digger and Trawler. That's from me and Glenn from uh, season one.
0: And that's through um, Deep Focus Records, Glass Eye Picks, glasseye dot com. Um, uh, that's it. I think, I think we're good. I think we've done enough here. So, yes. guys, thanks so much for coming.
1: Check out Late Phases. Speaking of uh, motion pictures, that's um, a new werewolf film by Adrian Garcia Bagliano. Uh, it's coming to theaters November 21st in New York and elsewhere across the country. And it'll be on VOD at the same time. So hope you can check that out.
0: Cool. Well, and Gavin, thank you for uh, coming on this one. I'm I'm here anyways. And so there you go. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. Thanks. Thanks, guys.
2: Thanks a lot.
0: Submissions are now open for the following programs: Tribeca All Access, the TFI Documentary Fund, TFI Sloan Filmmaker Fund, and the TFI New Media Fund. Submissions close on November fifth. Apply now at tribecafilminstitute.org. Now's a perfect time to become a TFI member and enjoy our events year round. Go to our membership page on our website and type in the promo code TFI Live 10, and you will get 10% off the membership price. That's TFI Live 10, all capital letters. Go to our blog for more news about TFI and the independent film world, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast at iTunes and Stitcher Radio. TFI Live Music is by Mr. Simmons. Learn more about him at MrSimmonsMusic.com. The man behind the glass is Gavin Mevius. This is Jason Garaccio. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.